A reading from John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches off the palm trees, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done of him. These are our sacred stories. Reading from John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38, and then chapter 19, verses 8 through 16. Pilate asked Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again, and he asked Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you, or the power to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the religious leaders cried out, If you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself up against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the religious leaders, Here is your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? And the religious leaders answered, We have no king but the emperor. And then they handed him over to be crucified. These are our sacred stories. They came by foot, some of them from the Mount, not of Olives, but the various mountains and hills that surround Nashville, Tennessee. They came with modern palm branches, protest signs. The signs were familiar cries for our country to care more about our children than guns, cries of never again, with lists of again and again and again, scrawled names of the murdered, facts about assault rifles and the lives they've taken since the assault rifle ban was allowed to expire, lists, oh the lists, Lists of cities where mass shootings have taken place. Lists of every school where children have been slaughtered, starting with Columbine and then going and going and going. 376 mass shootings in schools since Columbine. 
one modern palm branch held high by a teenager read, we want to attend final exams, not funerals. They entered the city on March 24th, and they came by foot. Some of them from the Mount, not of Olives, but the various mountains and hills that surround Nashville, Tennessee. They came with modern palm branches, protest signs, and they shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. The words on everyone's tongue, save us, enough, stop this. It doesn't have to be this way. Jesus, in the last week of his life, marches deliberately into the center of local imperial power and religious collaboration with that oppressive and violent power. He paints such a passionate picture of the alternative realm of the kingdom of God that the Roman authorities cannot ignore him. And yet much of the church has managed to ignore Jesus's message for centuries. Stephen Patterson writes, is Jesus dead? Not yet. But what the cross could not do, Christians could. We're killing Jesus. Jesus was a sage, or if one prefers, a prophet. Sages and prophets live by their words and deeds in this sense. For most of us who assemble in the name of Jesus, he is dead. His words and deeds mean little to us, if anything at all. We do not look to Jesus for a way of life, but for salvation. He continues, Jesus died that we might live indeed. It seems that we have to kill him in order that we might live whatever lives our power and privilege will allow us to lead. When real life is at stake, most of us will take personal salvation over the kingdom of God any day. Though we prefer our Christ crucified, a once living Jesus, silent. This week, Jesus's last cannot be the silencing of Jesus. We must protest. It cannot be about personal salvation and nothing more. It's about our choices. It's about which kingdom holds our loyalties. About how we will follow and who we will follow. Where will we march? The parade of military might or the parade of peace? Where will we worship? The house of prayer or the hideout for religious collaboration with injustice? How will we resist? With violence or nonviolence? Can we mirror our enemies with active love? How will we be disciples? With the outpouring of lavish love, doing what we can do? Or with resentment that leads to betrayal? How will we 
address the problems of this world, the poor, the hungry, the oppressed? Will we be part of the solutions, the change, the creation of the realm of love here on earth? Or will we see the problems and like Jesus at that wedding, suggest that it is no concern of ours? Will we send away, sleep, flee, desert, deny? Which kingdom has our loyalty? Protecting guns while children die? Black men shot in their backyards? Threats of violence overseas met with more and more violent rhetoric? Refugees sent away, immigrants ripped from their families? Endless health care for the wealthy while the poor die of preventable illness, the medicine too expensive? What concern is that to you and me? Mother Mary ushered Jesus into the work of the realm of God. She ushers us as well. What if we were born again, started from scratch, realized we don't have all the answers? What if we, like Jesus and that woman at the well, have more in common with others than we ever imagined? We all need connection, that living water. What if our eyes were truly opened to the knowledge that we and other people are not problems to be solved, but people to be loved? What if we even tried to love God with everything? Our hearts, our soul, our minds, our strength. What if we even tried to love our neighbors as ourselves in equal measure? This week, this last week, cannot be simply about personal salvation while our brothers and sisters die. Jesus counters until his dying breath the empire and religious collaboration with violence and oppression. Jesus is calling us to live into our loyalty to the realm of God, to follow him even to the cross, creating a realm of justice and love with each step. Jesus is calling us to recognize that God has indeed moved into the neighborhood, that we can be born again and drink from living water because love is incarnate among us. Love making the realm of God manifest here and now. Holy Week is more than personal, it's more than piety. The empire executed Jesus to silence him, and then the church left him on the cross, telling us that Jesus died for our personal sins, telling us to rejoice in personal forgiveness, focusing on religious ambition, on the cosmic realm, on what happens after we die. The meaning we make of Jesus' last week matters. Much is at stake. Is Christianity primarily about individual morality, 
about an afterlife? Or is it the creation of the realm of God here on earth? In Mark 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word ransom has been heard only as a sacrificial word. We've heard preacher after preacher say that Jesus paid the ransom for our sins. But it almost certainly does not have this meaning in Mark. The Greek word translated as ransom is lutron, and it's used in the Bible not in the context of the payment for sin, but to refer to the payment made to liberate captives, often from the captivity of war, or slaves from a slave debt. A lutron, a ransom, means liberation from bondage. Jesus gave his life as a ransom, as liberation. He gave his life so that people could be freed from oppression. In Luke, Jesus' first sermon, he makes it clear, God sent me, he said, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim God's favor. In John's Gospel, we read Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Surely this is more than about belief. John 3.16, as Frederick Buechner retells it, Jesus says, I'm telling you, God is so in love with this world that he sent me down. So if you don't understand your own eyes, maybe you'll believe my eyes. Maybe you'll believe me. Maybe you won't come sneaking around, scared half death in the dark anymore. Maybe you'll come too, come to life. There's a difference in believing in Jesus and in believing Jesus. I believe him. I believe him when he says, love your enemy. I believe him when he says, there's a way to live life that's abundant. I believe him when he says that God loves each and every one of us. And so love is the way. Love is the truth and the life. Love is the way we change this world. I don't mean easy love, not emotional bosh. I mean the love of resistance. The love that demands our courage, our strength our willingness to see what is happening because oppressive systems are entrenched. Racism, economic collapse. We have to see what's happening so that we can be part of the way of love that resists that the narrative Resist the narrative that tells us that people who are suffering are to blame because they didn't work hard enough. The way of love demands that we see what is happening and then refuse to ignore it. And not just see, but act. The long and murderous history of racism, of transphobia, of the glorification of guns must be interrupted. 
no more. We must speak and work with outraged love for justice and change. In John 14 we read, Believe me that I am in God and God is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I'm going to God. The greater works still need to be done. God's kingdom has not yet come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we work for justice and we work for peace. We follow in the way of strong, demanding love. And we refuse to let this weak silence Jesus. If we listen, we can hear him still. I heard him in the video of the rally against gun violence in Nashville. I saw him, too, out of the corner of my eye, waving his palm branch. Amen.